You're listening to Read Between the Letting with Aaron Heath and Matt McInerney. It's December 5th, 2009. Today we'll be talking about inventing and design systems for sustainability and altruism. It's a bit abstract, so we have a few examples. We'll be talking about William McDonough and the idea of cradle to cradle. We'll also be discussing the work of Michael Pritchard and Josh Silver and the way it's influencing design. One thing we wanted to address in this episode before we begin is that we talk about some pretty lofty goals. For everything we say in this episode, it applies to an ideal world and ideal ideas, not absolutes. We poke fun at frivolous items like laptop stands in this episode, but I really find mine pretty helpful. And we also understand that in our last episode, we talked about something very specific, type on the web. And now we switch over to quote-unquote ways in which to make the world better. One thing we've always tried to do with RBTL is talk about a wide range of things, small ideas and big. And the following is just that, thoughts and ideas. We care about web fonts and the world around us. We're just always looking for new ideas, and we love to talk about them. This episode, we have a lot to talk about, and it's we don't really know what to call it yet. Yeah, we, we, we decided it's not the sustainable show. It's not the green design show, but it's... It's not, it's not about helping the environment, although it does help the environment, and it's not just about... It's about good design and helping people and everything around us, but it's about more than that, too. It's about... Well, here's... We'll just touch on the topics we want to talk about, and I have, maybe... I'm hoping by the end of the show, we'll figure out what, what it was about. We're going to talk about cradle to cradle, which is a play on the phrase cradle to grave, except um, it's splitting that and and thinking about the entire life cycle of a product back to the beginning of a new product, essentially. Literally a cycle. Yes. And then we're also going to be talking about uh, some other inventions, recent inventions, uh, such as Josh Silver's glasses and how it's affecting the third world and the world around us. And uh, also Michael Pritchard's Lifesaver water bottle and his water filter, um, which is essentially changing the way we, we think about infrastructure and how to solve problems, um, which gets back to the idea of, of design, you know, good design, smart design, design thinking in general. And uh, I, I guess I think, I think one of the main themes is going to be thinking bigger, thinking beyond um, just what y- you, you're used to thinking about what design is. Is that fair to say? I would say so. And all of these things have a few things in common. They do care about the world around us when it comes to the environment and the people. They're sustainable when it comes to revenue. They're sustainable when it comes to people. They're sustainable when it comes to the environment. And they're sustainable when it comes to practicality. Um, and in some way, they, they are greatly helping people around them too. And for the most part, these things are products. Yeah. Um, there's also... The nature of them is holistic. It tends to be. It's thinking. It's trying to think of a whole problem rather than just the small details of a problem, especially the cradle to cradle system. Uh, they're also they're also somewhat altruistic, but not. It's not like they have to set out to be that. They end up. That's the end result. Um, which isn't that what good design should be? Yes, and I think that's what I think that's what we're moving to, or at least that's what we're moving to as a definition. Yeah, and it's. It, it seems like it's starting with design thinking in general. Yeah, I, I think moving forward, what, the way we're going to have to change our design thinking is yeah. you're not just thinking about the product you're making. You're thinking about the entire cycle of how the product is made. 
um, and how it affects the thing, the other products and things around it. I was thinking earlier today about – you ever see at the bottom of an email, somebody will say, don't print this email out, save a piece of paper, or use an email instead of writing a letter and save a piece of paper? Yeah. And that's uh, – you know, it seems like a good start, and that's great and all. But you don't think about further – you don't think further than that about, like, are you really saving anything by sending right. an email? Because let's think about it. You Energy. have a computer. What's powering your computer? What's storing the email? Maybe you're hurting the environment more by turning on your computer. And then how is your computer shipped to you? What kind of fuel is the truck using that shipped the computer to you? How is the computer made? When you're done with the computer, is it – And see, all that is really complicated because a lot of that's negligible. Like, for example, how is the computer shipped to you? The computer has a, a full lifetime and it's going to be doing a lot of other things. So you're going to have to divide all that up. But, you know, there's, there's, there, there are thoughts like this. Um, what is it? Is it called Blackle? Black, it's, oh, it's like the, Google. The, it's where it's Google, except this, the background is black and it saves right. energy. It's well, it doesn't save energy anymore. I think I think it saved energy on CRT screens, but it doesn't on LCD screens because even if a pixel is black on an LCD screen, it's still being powered. Where on a CRT screen, it's off if it's black. So you know, originally that helped. Now it doesn't. But some people still have this idea that it does help. Now it's costing the same amount of power. And then the other thing, Google came out a while ago, and do you remember what the number was for every Google search? There's so much energy that's um, it's it's pretty minute, but when you think about how many people and how many times I use Google a day, like yeah. it, it makes you really upset when you use Google to type in a web address instead of just typing it in the web address bar. <laughs> because you're spending that much more time on a computer. There's, and... there's so many times that I type in maps.google.com into Google yeah. instead of just <laughs> typing it in. I don't know why, but um, you know, so so there's all those things as well. So at this point, let's let's go a little more in depth with these three things that are kind of our background for the show. Sure. Do you want to start off with Cradle to Cradle? Yeah, well, I think this is probably the the most well known approach to sustainable design, um, and it, it, I I think that even the term sustainable design isn't necessarily appropriate for this. It's more about renewable design, and it's it's taking the model from nature, um, and that model is of course anything that is waste is going to be used um, for food for something else. The you know the manure from a cow is used to grow a plant, something like that. And we don't necessarily have that in industrial cycles right now. You create a product, it goes into essentially a graveyard, and that's that's all it ever is. And why should that be the standard for anything? Why can't you put it into uh, a cycle that just keeps continuing and continuing and continuing? You don't have to worry about waste. You're making no waste. Um, or even if there's, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think anytime soon we're ever going to get to a system where you're entirely waste free, but at least you, at least some of it is. And then the other part can be downcycled, which is, is, is the cradle to cradle way of, of referring to recycling. Cause when we say recycle, it's not totally accurate. You don't take a piece of paper and recycle it and use it for the same piece of paper. It's slowly being downgraded until it can't be used anymore. So yeah. it, the term downcycle is a little bit more. Which still is that. taking energy to recycle it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, even yeah, yeah I, I guess even if you recycled something completely, it takes energy to get it back to the form it was. But that doesn't even happen. And you know, there's plenty of arguments saying that the only recycling that's efficient is aluminum recycling at this point, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So you know, it kind of becomes about waste. And I think that's, I think McDonough, he's the he he's the guy behind Cradle to Cradle and especially talking about it yeah. um, I, th I think that a lot of what he thinks is about that is, is about basically consumption and waste and, and not so much and when, he, when we say sustainable we, we talk about the materials and things we're using and, and the waste as opposed to just kind of what we've thought about in the past 15 years which is just recycle, recycle, recycle and you know 
it's more of like you said a holistic approach where we're thinking we need to start thinking about recycling what is actually happening in recycling as opposed to just coming up with quote unquote you know a good idea and then putting all of our hopes into that well what's one thing about the term sustainable, which I thought was really interesting, is uh, I'll link this documentary, but there's a documentary called Waste Equals Food, and it covers the cradle-to-cradle system pretty well. And there's a quote in it um, – I believe it's from William McDonough, and, it, and he, he refers to uh, sustainable – the term sustainable, and, and he makes an analogy about uh, human relationships. And he says if somebody were to ask you how your relationship is with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever, and you were to – reply to them that it's simply sustainable, they would pity you. They would say, oh, I'm so sorry. But that that's kind of our goal right now yeah. for just how our products are is, oh, as long as we can make it sustainable. And and, and his point was it shouldn't just be sustainable. It should be renewable. Beneficial. Sustainable is baby steps. Exactly. And, you know, oh God, baby steps. It looks like a big – a big thing for us to achieve right now still. Let's give a solid example then of Cradle to Cradle. McDonough talks about a few different things. Uh, carpet, you know, made with um, not grass seeds, some sort of like pellets, recyclable t- pellets, and the carpet eventually, um, you know, biodegrades. It comes in two parts, one that can be recycled and the other that is literally biodegradable and can be reused in carpets, um, but is completely natural in all ways. And there's a few other examples. Do you have one? Yeah. There's also – this is actually being done. This is the Nike Considered Project. And and what they're doing is they're reimagining how a shoe should be made and redesigning the process. Um, and you know, not just the, the, the product, the process of making the shoe. And so the, what they've done is they've created a shoe that – is it's basically two pieces. It's uh, uh, the top part, which is a biodegradable material, and then the bottom part, which is a rubber sole that can be reused. So the way it works is you buy the shoe, um, and you actually – hypothetically, you pay a little bit less because you're only paying for the, the amount of time you use the shoe. When you're done with the shoe, the top part degrades um, and then – potentially gets used for food for biological nutrients in the future or organic material. <laughs> and then the bottom part of the shoe you give back to the company that they can put back into other sneakers, um, which is why you pay less because you're giving the materials back to the company, uh, which is which is a fantastic way of thinking about how anything could work is, is the parts – or is that the companies who are manufacturing the materials are then responsible for their entire life cycle if you create something hazardous – you have to take it back and do something. I think with. the difficulty we're going to have in all of this in the next one, you know, 100 years or however long it takes, is is number one, uh, laying the laying the blame. Essentially, whose responsibility is it? Is it the person who's made it to get it back, or is it the person who's bought it to give it back? Number one, and number two, convincing both parties of the importance of not being lazy and actually doing that. We live in a world where napkins are freely available any you know anywhere we go all all these things we just take them and throw them away and it's really easy to not realize how much stuff we throw away oh yeah how do we get someone to to actually like want to like you know with batteries there's a lot of programs already set up where you can resend your things in computers for example when you're done with them if you don't sell them or printers god knows we have a ton of printers yeah uh, there's you know there's programs to send them back in um to be reused you know for different things and they might not be as efficient as this nike shoe box but um the point is is that People aren't sending those back in. How do we convince them to send to send these shoes back in? And yeah, we have these green campaigns. And yeah, we have all this this kind of hype and, and marketing campaign saying how great it is. And maybe they can offer incentives because it is cheaper and some sort of requirement. But in the end, 
it's going to take a while to convince people to actually I, do it. I think it's going to have to be something that's, that's twofold. I think it's going to have to be restriction on companies that manufacture products and incentives for consumers that consume those products. Um, like one one really simple one that I that I participate in is uh, Staples offers you a rewards card if you bring back your printing cartridges to them. Um, because you know that's one thing is printer cartridges. They all you know they all have microchips. They're all pretty complicated little things. You can't just um, toss yeah. them, or I mean you could just toss them. You shouldn't. <laughs> and so they they've said that they well, are not judging the market has set up um, incentives for consumers to recycle those because also if you can reuse those, you're saving the company saving money. That's true, and they're probably getting some sort of tax break or something like yeah. that from giving them back as well. So we have that, but you know, I think you know McDonald's right. This is just a baby step, and I think he even knows it. I don't think we're ever going to get this efficient. I don't think we'll ever get people to a mindset that it's efficient for them to give I, stuff back. I think. Well, I think it's a, it's especially difficult in America. Um, steps. Oh, yeah. I know there are already steps being taken in Europe, but I think you do. There's there's a certain mindset we're going to need to get over here of this this entrepreneurial spirit that is it's great but you need to also be responsible for what you do um, but I really do think you're eventually going to need some sort of restriction where you say hey company that manufactures this product you need to be responsible for it after it's left um, your plant too or consumer you need to be Which, responsible for it yeah because maybe you're both of it. those. But if you think about it, if you were to place those restrictions on a company, it's it's then in their – it works in their favor if they design a product that can easily be assembled but also disassembled later so that different pieces can be recycled because that, that's another part of the problem is taking stuff apart. Yeah. It would be easier and it would be more beneficial to the companies to do that. But you know, is that the only way we can do it? Do we just have to say consumers are lazy? We can't educate. They are mindless sheep. You know? You can be the smartest guy in the world. You know, we can talk all of this, and I know after this I'll go buy a box of Kleenex or I'll go out and get a cup of coffee and get a napkin. And, and you know, you, you, we can do the little things. Like I'll take – I take, try and take less bags when I go out shopping or yeah. try not to take a bag at all. But in the end, there's always things that are just a little bit easier, and if it's there, people are going to do it. So so is that what, do we just treat people like they're idiots? I worry that that, that, that might have to be the case because the alternative potentially is that we don't do anything – and we just wait until the materials just aren't there, so it's physically impossible to waste. I mean, maybe – do you think it would have to get to that point where we just have – we've wasted so much that we have so little resources that it's impossible to waste anymore? I don't know. I don't know. I do think that we're going to have to get past the system of I, – I do think that there's got to be a better way than having one element being biodegradable and the other element you send back and reuse. I think we need to get past this – Send this element back to reuse, and we're eventually going to get to something where, it, like, we're going to have to, where everything is is automated. As lazy as that sounds, I think that's the only way it's we're really going to reach a certain efficiency. Expand on that idea of automation. What's what's the automated part? Well, the automation can can be something like it being biodegradable on its own, but it's going to be have to be it's going to have to be something where people don't have to send it back, send something back in to be reused. It's going to have to um, be something. I guess recycling has gotten to that point a bit. You know, for example, in San Francisco, we have alongside trash cans all over the street are yeah. cement and steel uh, recycling bins, and and that's I guess that's like a, a certain form of, of automation because it's just so easy that there's no reason not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so so maybe we'll get to that, but it's gonna the less we're gonna have to get some to a place where effort doesn't need to be put in for these items to be reproduced. I think that's a really 
uh, solid quote is it's so easy that it, it would be more difficult to not. Um, it, and it comes in everywhere. It comes in in recycling. It comes in with payment models. Remember the – I can't remember who it is. Do you remember the guy talking about if, if you just made a song, Five Cents on iTunes, it would be so – it would be more difficult oh, to yeah. steal it and it would just be so easy to buy it. You just go ahead and buy it. Yeah. If, if it was just so easy to deliver a product back to a company or to just um, make everything biodegradable so it's just so easy, you just throw it into a compost pile that everybody has and it degrades. It, I mean – it, it's it's harder to find a place that's not a compost pile to throw it. You know, you um, said a few minutes ago about something about the entrepreneur entrepreneurial spirit in yeah. America, and I want to kind of shift a little bit along with that. Let's go into the next couple of things we were talking about aside from cradle to cradle. Josh Silver, uh, he's kind of been making some waves recently, but he invented essentially a pair of glasses that they're inexpensive, um, they're you know they don't break that easily they're pretty sturdy and you can adjust them on your own with uh, it's they're filled with water and so it just comes with a, a little syringe that you can insert or take a decrease the amount of water in them and adjust adjust them so you don't need an eye doctor essentially you don't need some you don't need a professional or to go to a glasses store or something like that to have someone adjust them for you and so th- what this is going to do for countries in Africa Asia uh, South America anywhere um it's going to make cheap, affordable glasses for everyone with eye problems, which is going to allow them to read, which is going to, you know, essentially this is kind of that whole little uh, domino effect, which is going to increase education and things like that. And this is this might be one small example. I don't know how many people this will affect, but glasses are just so simple in America. If you walk down the street, you see so many people wearing them, you know, or, or in any uh, in European country or something like that, too. It's just kind of a part of life. We don't we're never thankful for them or anything like that. But so how is that going to change countries that that can't easily afford them or, you know, have them customized when they when they need to? Well, it's it, going to make a big difference. I think it will make a big difference. And I think it's a, I think it's an amazing product because it it limits it, it, it takes the manufacturing product process and limits the idea of customization in that realm to the realm of the consumer. So you don't have to make uh, however many different lenses. I actually don't even know how many different lenses are oh, available on the market. I don't, yeah, so many, right? And it takes it down to just one pair of glasses for everybody. And it's, it's actually this kind of um, – mid-century modernism ideal that a lot of people were searching for, architects who tried to build uh, housing that anybody can live in. And I think th- in, in part that, that that has been disproven uh, that that doesn't always work. But I think this is a, an example where it really can work. And, and it makes me think that there's never one right way to solve a problem. It's a multitude of ways to solve a problem. So maybe that idea has been disproven for housing um, but maybe it works for glasses, and we just have to – we said this before on the show – approach it from every angle and, and see what works and, and try all our options. And there's probably not one right answer. There's probably a lot of right answers. Well, and it's like what we've, we were talking about a little while ago. It, it gives the consumer this automation. Yeah. And you know the, the impact of that is – we don't. We won't even know it for a while. But just the fact that this guy worked on this, this is something I kind of want to touch on a bit. Um, in America and Europe, you know, in, in more developed nations, 
we've we've come a long way when it comes to products and you wouldn't think that there should there needs to be a new way to design to do glasses now we have designer glasses and all we worry about are frames or making lenses even better for the people who already have them so we've kind of gotten to this place where we develop products for products now um yeah. like in in America we have we've kind of lost invention and we're on this this we have entrepreneurs and we have um, we're in the information age and consumerism and so we have things like Facebook now which is we sell services and information technology as opposed to products anymore and so all of these these old kinds of in, ideas of invention have been left behind or or you know invention now is like how can we make our laptops run cooler let's make a stand that goes underneath of it what kind of an invention is that you know we've we don't think about the toilet we don't think about reading glasses anymore in that sense we think about how to make them more powerful but not how can we make them uh, more affordable or we're not thinking the same way we did in the in the mid 1800s when we were still trying to create these things and get them out to the public um, and so I guess I guess what I'm wondering is, are we done making? Is is inventing the idea of inventing over? Is it did consumerism and the information age kill it? I I think no way, but there's there's certainly a trend. It's stifling some, it. Yeah. It's, well, well, you know what it is? It just seems like every market is so flooded that you have to be super niche to make anything to make any money off anything, which is ultimately the goal in our society, in a capitalist society, is you just have to make money. So you end up so with consumerism guys... did stifle it. It is consumerism's fault. Yeah, okay, yes. And so you end up with, with guys like Billy Mays who pitch products that you don't really actually need. Um, but th- I, I don't think hope is lost because you also have guys like Michael Pritchard who are coming up with the Lifesaver water bottle, which is solving a re- an actual problem. Let's talk about it's... that. Okay, so this is something I love because it's it's another example of thinking really big, um, but coming up with a p- really simple solution that can work in reality. And so, what it is, it's a water bottle that you can pump uh, essentially contaminated water, th- something that you would drink and you could get diarrhea, and that it's a huge problem in the world, and people die from it all the time. Um, but it's its own filter. You give it a few pumps, and then it spits out fresh water. Um, and it also has all kind of mechanisms like, of course, the filter is replaceable. It has a fail-safe mechanism so that when, when it just stops working, it doesn't spit water out anymore so you're not accidentally drinking contaminated water. But the, one of the reasons this is so cool is because previously when people run out of water, they have to move somewhere. So they have to be transported and uh, we, we would have to ship clean water. Which seems kind of crazy because water's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things he brought up was, "Hey, you know what? Nature has a pretty good mechanism for delivering water. It sucks up water from the earth, it desalinates it for free, and then it puts <laughs> it back down into the rivers and mountains. And the only problem we have to solve is how to uh, decontaminate it. And right. he, he did that with a simple water bottle rather than building an entire infrastructure that would filter water. Um, that's the kind of thinking that that needs to be happening. Uh, this holistic approach of how does the entire system work, and then how can we work in this natural system and 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 make something function. Um, and this is this is the theme I like is realizing that nature solved every problem. There there are tons of adventurers who understand the idea of looking to nature. Um, the problem is sometimes it gets really abstract, and we also live in an age where invention is a really abstract concept sometimes. And so I think if if you really want to solve any problem and, and make it a renewable uh, system, 
look to nature because it solved it. The the cradle to cradle system and the idea that waste is food is the perfect example of that. Nature solved the problem of waste. Things die, they go into the earth, and they become fertilizer for something else to grow, and then that becomes food for something else that will die and go. It, I, we understand that that the the earth is already renewable. Um, we've just had this attitude of kind of fighting against it for so long. I think we just need to shift gears. It, it, industrialism kind of fought against nature. I think we need to switch gears as resources become more scarce and there are more people in the world so that we're working with nature to create new renewable systems. You know, we talked about this a long time ago in one of our first episodes about um, the uh, the dominions of art and how we had, you know, Art Nouveau, and then we had a back. Art Nouveau was a backlash against the more industrialized world, and, and it kept going back and forth. And maybe when it comes to art and design, uh, this is the new, you know, the new the new backlash. It's a new backlash against the information age, essentially. Well, the other the other thing I think we need a backlash against is the idea that designers make things pretty. So here here's a question I was thinking about earlier. Is I'm sure you've heard it, Aaron, before. The designers are just people who make things pretty, and yeah. it's been said in uh, an offensive way, and it's been said in just a, a place of, of ignorance where maybe that's what you really think what a designer is. Right. But I was thinking, in all in all forms of design. Yeah, exactly. And and I was thinking, is that that I don't want to be a designer in that sense. I mean, I like working with with aesthetics, of course. But th- I think that goes back to what you were saying about whether the difference between um, creating a new, you know, whatever widget for your Facebook app or uh, creating a water bottle that can save someone's life is the difference between being a designer that makes things pretty or being a design thinker. That's true. You know, it's this idea of, of original invention. Um, creativity comes from from multiple places, and where where are we essentially, you know, deriving our inspiration from, and what goals are we working towards? Are we, tr- what you know, what's the point in in making a Facebook app or making a laptop stand uh, versus what's the point? You know, it's it's invention originally comes from. There's a need for something. Let's fill that need. And so, yeah, maybe there's a need for a laptop stand in some sense. But, but I think that we've just become like some of our nations. We've just become so developed that our our quote unquote needs have changed. And it's it's almost because it's almost so like someone's drawn the wool over our eyes, and well, we don't realize what what all what basic needs still exist. That's true. And also, we 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 live in a system where output is valued like not what are you outputting just output in the same way in the stock market it's not the a company isn't looked at excuse me a company isn't looked at for the quality of their work they're looked at for constant growth and if you're not constantly growing then what are you worth and i think it's yeah we need to you know, rethink it, our output is let's not just think about are you putting out more and more and more and more is the quality of what you're creating is it helpful is it useful is it is it good for the environment is it is it something you're proud of well this comes back to that mindset of 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 again of consumers and people in general companies are outputting but but people are buying and it's really easy to say that that it's you know we're greedy um i would i would say that honestly although (laughs) that would get me into a little bit of trouble because because we we can't just leave it at that and say companies are greedy they just want to make money um, while that could be the case, you know that, that's a different, different, completely different thing to talk about. What solution are we giving? What, how are we trying to solve that problem? There's got to be a way. You know, with these glasses, mm-hmm. um, with Silver's glasses, sure they're going to help 
third world's uh, developing nations and things like that. But you know, I would th- I would argue that they could they're still good for us. It's you know, especially let's talk about the healthcare debate. Going to a doctor yeah. a little bit less, not you know, being able to do things for yourself. Like, and another idea here is how much do we need? It's already been proven, you know, and said and, and studied, and maybe not proven, but um, there's been a lot of studies on it that we can't keep living at the rate that we're living with, you know, what we're living with. Yeah. And it's easy, you know, you think of at that point, like, you know, really, really wealthy people with. A tin cars and a private jet and things like that but even it comes down to even people like us you know who might have a laptop and a desktop computer uh who might have you know a couple of cans of coke in their fridge or something like that i i don't know what examples there are necessarily but we are living at this rate that and when we look at the rest of the world the rest the whole world will not be able to live at this standard altogether no that's and true so and it, it, i mean it's it's just it's as obvious when you just see it, if you could see it in just pie chart form, where you realize here's the chunk yeah, of resources, it's... What resources, here's who's using it, and here's the rest of the world, and you go, oh my yeah. god, if everybody lived this way, the world it would not work. be able to survive. And, and so we ha- it, we have to change that mindset somehow. That's the only way it's going to work. That might because you know it's people are it's really easy for people to say, I really want to help starving children. I really want to help um, less fortunate people, but you you kind of can't right now. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but you are people really ready to give up some of the things they have is what I'm asking. I don't think I don't think the, the what's necessary to give up we're not ready for, but I think we can make steps towards doing it. Um, I mean, it, you know, it's like the ripping off the Band-Aid analogy. <laughs> it's uh, I don't think we are ready to rip it off completely. I think we can. Slowly... But I don't even I, I, I don't even see us actually starting to turn that way. We might have these inventions, and we might have people who actually do care and are trying to do something. Mm-hmm. But in general, I don't think we've even begun to turn around and start to use a little less, or start to. I I don't think we're definitely not ripping off the bandaid. We haven't even like looked at the bandaid bandaid to start to peel it off, though. I guess that's true. Uh, I think I think we have I think we have we live in a certain circle of people that are that are talking about this, but we don't necessarily communicate outside. Like this is a topic in the design community, of course. But outside of the design community and outside of other um, environmentally conscious communities, is it that big a deal, or is it just that we're we're the <laughs> we're the victims of so much greenwashing that we just think it's fine, right? Yeah, you just see it everywhere. So you're like, yeah, of course everybody's on top of it. But I don't know. Maybe, yeah, I think you're right that it, maybe we're not even close to the baby steps what we need. Because because you know it's easy to say again. Uh, like I said, I try and take less bags when I go to the store. But taking less bags <laughs> isn't even beginning. To it's not the tip of the iceberg of what I personally would need to do to lower my consumption so that so I can elevate the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. No. And and so I, where do we really begin? That's it's something that it's something that it. I don't believe it's something that each one of us can take a little step to do. It's something that every one of us needs to take a fairly okay step to even start to kind of do. No, I think that's true, and I I do think the problem starts with you. Of course, it's pretty. I mean, we're we're talking about this like it's everybody else. Me. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's you know it is it is us, and I I feel the same way. Where like I tried recycle. If I go to the if I go to the store, if I don't remember my own bag that I bring with me, uh, I try to use as little bags as possible. But I also try to remember that I have like a tote bag at home I could bring. Um, I try you know I try to recycle my cans, but I should also try to buy less cans and just drink water. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I could personally do that is I, I we all get it. it's hard. 
too. I think you, we need to. You grow I think up in a culture where that's not the norm, and then to break it, like even even the part where you try to break it, and and <laughs> oh, you stupid tree hugger. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's easy to bitch and say we can't do anything. I don't know what we're doing. We're going to begin. But so so where can we begin? These things that we've been talking about on the show. Uh, if we, you know, if somehow, and for designers as well, I think it comes back to. Um, Inventing, you know, I think that there's a way to combine the cool factor with the the useful and renewable and helpful factor. These the glasses again, yeah. the glasses. If everyone had, if there was some a few different forms of those glasses, and everyone started wearing those glasses, um, you know, you could still make them look nicer and change them just a bit, but still, in some ways. That could cut down on cost, you know, if developed nations started using those as opposed to their Armani glasses. Well, I mean, I mean, the purpose of the glasses is just to get people who don't have them glasses. But if everybody started using them, they didn't have to have multiple pairs, or you just had to have one pair for your whole life as your eyes degrade. Yeah, um, that would be that. Just there, that would be hugely successful. But it, it, I mean, we talked about it last show on the web font show where we say, well, if nobody starts using it now, even while it's not perfect then it's not going to pick up. So this is one of those things where, okay, it might not be aesthetically exactly what you want it to be, but if we don't start using it now, then where do, how do we get it to the people who can't afford it, and how do we make it cheaper and, and all that? Yeah. Well, yeah, to, to a degree. But I think this is the kind of thing where I think, I think this is where we're going to start to see change that. I think this is the kind of thing where we'll slowly we'll start to see bigger companies take on little projects like this that an inventor might have come up with make them prettier and 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 use the bulk of cash that they already have to make them more affordable without having a big demand at first. Yeah. You, you know, I think I think it does start again we could say companies are greedy inherently in all of these things, but but in some way there's this cycle going on where everyone is trying to make everyone else feel guilty about environmental you know the environment and that and and sustainability in general and that's good because yeah. consumers are trying to make companies feel guilty and companies don't really want to do something necessarily but maybe a few do and then companies are are trying to make consumers feel guilty through their marketing right now with green and consumers don't really want to be sustainable like again there's some people that do but everyone's kind of still lazy but all this guilt <laughs> is making is it's slowly moving us which is a good thing i mean <laughs> would you ad- agree to to some degree yeah yeah i mean the catholics learned this one a long time ago right? <laughs> um um, no, but but seriously, uh, I think no, I think the the guilt is a good thing. The other thing to to remember is that uh, we we always have this idea of corporations as this this um, this organization that's that is is immune to the guilt about greed. But it is true that do corporations are made up of people, just like we're people. Exactly, that have emotions and and live on the same planet. It might, that we it might, live things on. might move slower, but things move. And mm-hmm. with this environmental the environment kind of becoming a bigger idea here and there. It's going to be a slow move, but you know, I could really see someone seeing these glasses and saying, "Let's find a way to to get the to make these affordable, uh, a little more luxurious still." And it's going to be a balance. It's going to be slow, but yeah. you know, it'll still be wasteful to a degree. But just taking things like that, um, maybe that's the way we start. It's probably going to be two things. It's going to be making the little steps when you can. Like, let's say you get. Um, uh, your next project is designing packaging for whoever. If you can convince them of whatever little steps to change it to a more sustainable system, absolutely go ahead and do it. But also the the attempting to for to design the big things, things that could actually change the world instead of um, designing another social network or something. 
Yeah. You know, I think I think kind of what we've come to on this episode is design an invention for for the new world or the coming worlds or, or something along the lines of, of really the entire world. Yeah. Speaking of, when we say the world, you know, a lot of times even I at first think of, again, developed nations. And uh, that's not that's not what this is about anymore. Well, it's also well, – one of the, the, the good things about – designing for developed nations is that if you don't have a current system in place, you can design a new system that is a, a new holistic system in t- instead of trying to change an existing For undeveloped one. nations, you're saying. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, you know, and I really think that as we start to, to develop these systems for undeveloped nations, we're going to see that they're a lot more efficient than what we have in place. Which, w- which would be, be good. It, it goes back to the maybe guilt or shame, but it, when, mm-hmm. you, when you find out that... Um, that an undeveloped nation is developing a system that's better than than your first world country that you think is so great. That that should be the the uh, encouragement or the incentive to change your system now. Like, how do you how do you justify that? If absolutely, I mean, I I don't mean to. I don't know. I feel like part of the show sounds like we're demonizing so much, and I don't mean it to be that. But I think this conversation does need to happen over and over and over again with every designer. And well, it's about guilt. <laughs> <laughs> but just to take the steps that you can take currently, because you know you, you don't always get to work for yourself. You almost never get to work for yourself. But just convincing the clients on the little things and and making the little steps where you can, and then maybe in your free time doing, coming trying to come up with the inventions that really solve problems. Yeah. So, what do our listeners think? I would. That's, that's what I want to hear. And I, I want to. I'd love to get some calls. I'd love to get. And if you live, one thing is that I've been remembering is that uh, a lot of our listeners don't live in America, so the call doesn't necessarily work. But sending us an MP3 is great, so we can play it back on the show. And even an email. So, a couple of questions. Number one, do you know of any good inventions that uh, maybe aren't that big? Someone you know, someone in your in your country, you know, whether it's America or some other country, just something going on that's trying it's trying to help whether it be through sustainability, uh, helping people, or something like that. Any inventions you know of? Uh, yeah, another question, do you agree, or are there any parts that you vehemently disagree with us on? That's, a, that's something we don't always get, Is but I like to hear when people really disagree with a point that we make so that we can, uh, we can tackle it um, yeah. holistically. Like I, You want to hear both sides of the issue, of course. Absolutely. Another issue, uh, do you have thoughts? Where, where do we begin? Where do you think the the beginning of the band-aid starts for kind of reducing what we use and increasing what increasing undeveloped countries uh, their um, standard of living where do we begin and one last one as we begin these measures of recycling whose responsibility is it to provide the recycled materials should the company be responsible for getting those materials back or should the consumer be responsible for sending those materials back or maybe both and i think that's it yeah so give us a call 209 209- 690-RBTL if uh, if you can afford to do so. If you live in the States, it's probably easier. Um, and if you don't, email us, readbetweenthelighting at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at RBTL Show. One other thing we wanted to mention, we had Ex Libris Type Foundry on a couple of episodes ago, and Yoss, he, we discussed Museo Slab a little bit, and he did start to work on it. He recently released his type specimen book, and he, uh, which it looks really nice. Too. Oh, it does look really nice. I mean, I think it's no. We've made it clear we like. We always are looking for a new slab, um, 
Museo Slab is looking really great. It's actually it's pretty close to being done. Uh, I, I sent Yoss a message on Twitter recently, and he said he's going to try to get it out there ASAP. So His, uh, the type specimen book is on. Twitter right now, and his Flickr has a lot of you know a few pages of the specimen. The lowercase italics look great, by the way. And there's a thousand weight, which is awesome. You don't usually get um, that thick of a weight, which can look really nice in display. Purposes. It's gonna look great. It's like a new cigarette. There you go. Your new, you'll be your new favorite. <laughs> and uh, he also, you know, had a special thanks to us in it, which was very nice. We want to thank him for that. Yeah, thank we you, appreciate Yoss. throwing our name in there. Thank you, Yas. And. Uh, I think that's all we have. So, again, if you want to be on the show, if you do want to talk about this more specifically, and if you have a lot to say about this particular topic, um, we this we said last episode we weren't going to have anyone for ne- from now on if it was just an episode of Matt and I. We'd like to have a listener on. Uh, we were trying to get Nerdsky on, and he had to work. So, sorry about that, Nerdsky. Um, we'll see you next time, though. And, uh, as always, I'm Aaron. And I'm Matt. Thanks.